I would explain the idea to them and they'd say, well, I don't think people, people really don't want to pay for local news. You know, there have been all these studies that show people don't want to pay for local news. And I said, well, maybe most people don't want to pay for local news, but you know, there, if you have 10% of the population will pay for local news, like that's still a lot of people that are your potential market. Welcome to the Substack podcast, where we have conversations with independent writers, bloggers, thinkers, and creatives of every background. Hey, Tony, thanks for coming on the Substack podcast. Thanks for having me, Nadia. So you write the Charlotte Ledger business newsletter, which you describe as fresh and real Charlotte business news that makes you smarter. Um, and this is Charlotte, North Carolina, by the way, for people that are listening. Um, I would yeah, love a to lot, dive- A lot of times people get uh, Charlotte confused with Charleston, which is in South Carolina, or Charlottesville, <laughs> which is in Virginia. But no, Charlotte is in North Carolina. You're right. It's funny. All the uh, southern states picked their cities to start with C's. Right. Um, yeah, I would love to kind of dig into your background about you... Before this, you worked at the Charlotte Observer, and which is a local newspaper, and then you freelanced for a while, and then you started the Charlotte Ledger about a year ago. Um, and so I'd love to hear a little bit about that trajectory and how you went from being a full-time journalist to, well, now you're also a full-time journalist who's working for yourself. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll just start talking. If you have any questions, just feel free to interrupt sure. me. But no, my, my background is, uh, you know, as a, as a journalist, I worked at a newspaper here, the Charlotte Observer, for about 12 years, left there in 2009, as it started, as many newspapers around the country started, you know, uh, downsizing, you know, buyouts and that kind of thing. Um, freelanced for a while, uh, was on staff with a national magazine for a couple of years, it folded a little over a year ago. And so I started looking around and and I said, well, gosh, you know, I, I guess I could go back to, you know, to freelancing and freelance for national publications or websites or what have you. Uh, but I started looking around in Charlotte and realized, well, the scene for local news was really, um, you know, the, the newspaper had shrunk a lot. There weren't a whole lot of innovative new, um, you know, digital publications. But I felt like there was still this appetite for local news. And I figured, OK, look, I have some skills I can bring to bear, you know, just your normal you know, reporting skills, you know, such as they are just, you know, calling people up, you know, what's a news story, what's, what's interesting to people, um, you know, writing things in a way maybe that's a little bit interesting. And so I said, well, maybe I could start something up that sort of um, helped address this issue of, um, you know, a, a lack of local news. Um, you know, you've seen this around a lot of communities, you know, I mean, yes, nationally, okay, if you're in New York or Washington or Los Angeles or San Francisco, there are any number of publications, you know, national and local. But some of the mid-sized cities like Charlotte um, and, and, you know, smaller cities, you know, I, I really feel like there's, um, you know, that local news has really taken a, a beating over the last 10 years. And so I said, look, I've got some skills I can bring to bear. Maybe I could start something up that, um, you know, that sort of addresses this need. Started looking around. I don't remember how I first saw Substack, but I, you know, came across Substack and I started thinking, wow, that could... Maybe I could start something up because um, I'd seen all these newslet- national newsletters. You know, you see, you know, uh, Axios and the Hustle and the Skim. These were all, you know, nationally, you know, sort of businessy focused. I'm like, could I do that on the local level? Um, you know, just focused on Charlotte. And Charlotte, just so you know, it's a it's in a metro area of about 2.5 million people. Um, you know, and the, and the city's about 900,000 people. Um, so I figured, okay, maybe I'll, I can just kind of give this a go and sort of see. 
um, you know, see if there's a market for this. Is this something that people would be interested in? And the thinking would be, you know, use sort of the old school journalism, you know, like making it fact based, making sure it's accurate, you know, having those be important values, but then also making it kind of punchy and lively and, you know, easy to read with a little bit of a voice, but, but not really, the idea was not super long, um, you know, sort of thumb, come, like thumb suckers in the business, not, not these really long, you know, articles that people have to wade through, but hey, can I do something that's sort of punchy? So I figured, okay, so take those skills, you know, put them in this kind of new format, focus it on Charlotte, and then, you know, see if there's an interest and kind of see where that goes. I found this really interesting because you went with this newsletter format and you talk about chart ledger as a newsletter, um, even though it sounds like you're inspired by these like national newsletters and you're, you're applying that to a local market. Um, are there any other sort of local newsletters that you know of in Charlotte or elsewhere? Like as you've been doing this, have you found inspiration from other people who are trying similar things with local news? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I can tell you locally in Charlotte, it's a little bit different than what other people are doing. You know, the traditional model on a newsletter that the, the main newspaper and that other uh, media in Charlotte do is, you know, they use the newsletter as a way to drive people to their website, which is, you know, which is a, a lot of news organizations do that. The difference here is that I'm saying the newsletter is the product. Like, I don't really need you to click anywhere. I think that creates some, it can create some bad incentives. If, if I'm dependent, if my model is that I'm selling advertising on a website, and I need you as a reader to go to that website, and I'm giving you a newsletter. Then, then I'm the incentive is to create a bunch of sensationalistic articles and teaser headlines and clickbait to get you to click through to go to that website so that I can sell advertising off of it. And I don't, I don't like that model as much. I would just prefer um, to actually just do, you know, responsible journalism. Put that in the newsletter and. Whether you click on, and I have a lot of links to you know the things that I reference, but whether you click on it or not is sort of immaterial to me. It's really more about if if the goal is to serve your readers and develop this connection with your readers, then I want to I want to serve the readers. I want to do what's best for them. I don't want to necessarily be having them have to navigate to websites and go different a bunch of different places. Um, you know, I, I'm establishing. I, I want to establish myself as, hey, uh, the Charlotte Ledger is giving is giving you everything you need to know. If you, if you want to know more, you can click here and go to these other sources, but, but you don't have to do that. So I, I think that's important is that if your customer is your reader, then that, that, that suggests one way to go. But if your customer is really your advertisers, then that creates a different way to go and you're not necessarily always serving your readers. So I guess I would make that point. And then the other, as far as, you know, are other people nationally doing this? I did um, you know, I talked to the people at Substack and they gave me a few names of people who were doing similar things. I talked to a guy in Toronto who emailed, um, he's doing one called uh, City Hall Watcher, which is focused, it's not on business, it's focused on, as the name suggests, on municipal government in Toronto. And it's very heavy on, okay, uh, you know, it goes through lobbying reports and he talks very, you know, specifically about, you know, what's going on, you know, in Toronto city government and you know has you know developed a um, you know a, a following out there. I, I've read some of the other ones on Substack. There's one called uh, I think it's called Importantville, which I think is on Indiana politics. I looked at that a little bit. There, it's my impression that there are not a lot of um, newsletters that are just squarely um, you know focused on on local news and using the newsletter as the main platform for for local news. Um, I've you know I've 
there, there are a few other, I guess, examples here and there, but there aren't a whole lot that, that I've found. Does this ever, do you ever find yourself having to explain this when you're reaching out to people for interviews or comments or um, when you're, you are the publication breaking news and it sounds like you've broken a bunch of news in, in Charlotte? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you position yourself to people that might not necessarily be familiar with the model? Yeah, that's a good question. Or do people I mean, not of, even notice the difference? Well, yeah, I mean, some people don't really understand the model. And of course, then when you're starting up, some people, most people have probably never heard of you. So if I say, oh, yes, I'm calling from the Charlotte Ledger, people are like, you know, okay, what is that? I, I don't know what that is, you know? And then I say, oh, it's an e-newsletter. And that probably, in their minds, they think, oh, it sounds pretty, it's like a small time thing. It's an e-newsletter, you know, it, it, it suggests that it's pretty small. And, and yes, compared to, you know, compared to the circulation of the main Metro Daily newspaper, it, it is fairly small. Um, but yeah, and then I've had people say, oh, hey, here's something that would be good for your blog, you know? And it's like, well, you know, I, I understand it's written in a bloggy sort of conversational style, but, but yeah, I mean, I have to, constantly explain like look no the product is i was you know i say this a lot like the product is the newsletter like i don't really need you know i'm not trying to sell you or get you to go somewhere else it's like the newsletter is what i'm delivering to you and that's you know that's kind of that's what i really want you reading so um you know even though obviously substack does you know back up to a website and people do get their information in different ways and some people probably just get it from from the Substack site and some people get it, you know, through the email, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that is, you know, that is a, a question I get. It's like, well, why do you, you know, why are you doing this as a newsletter? Like, why can't, why wouldn't you just set up a website, you know, like most people? And it's like, well, there are a lot of good reasons I think not to just have it be website based and that, you know, if you're website based, you are, uh, you're having to, drive people to that website. And the way you typically do that is through social media, right? You go on Twitter, you go on Facebook. And I think as we all know, as anybody who's looked at the publishing industry in the last few, know, the last few years knows, you know, those, um, you know, those big tech companies, they, they really kind of cut you off at the knees. Like you post something, if you have 2,000 followers, like you don't know how many of those 2,000 followers are really going to see it. You're kind of dependent on those tech companies and the social media companies to drive people there. But when you have an, you know, a newsletter, you have a direct connection to your audience. You know, I've got their email addresses. You know, their Substack has their email addresses. You know, it just goes directly into their inbox and it shows up there until they opt out of it and say they don't want to receive it. So it's harder to acquire those customers. It's a little trickier than just getting them to click. You have to get them to put in their email address and some people don't want to do that for understandable reasons, privacy reasons or whatever. But once you have those, it's a, you can develop a good relationship with those people. And, you know, you're not... it's you're deepening that relationship. You're not just kind of saying, oh, I just want you to click and move on to the next thing. Makes perfect sense. And how did you seed your initial email list? Uh, I, I feel like this is an interesting question for you in particular because your your ideal niche audience is a geographic one and not this, mm-hmm. say, like an online interest or community. Um, so like how when you're doing something that's online, how do you reach all these people who care about Charlotte, the physical location? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Well, I just started out like most people would. You know, it's not like, you know, I worked here for the, um, you know, for the paper for 12 years. But I left in 2009. It's not like I had a massive social media following or that I'm some, was some well-known name in Charlotte by, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, like, you know, you see like The Athletic, you know, like their model is to peel off the best-known sports writers from the papers and hire them onto The Athletic and to get all their Twitter followers. That, that doesn't describe me at all. Um, so what I did was, you know, I did what most people would do. I, you know, I, I started up, um, and the other piece of advice that I liked from Substack was like, okay, look, 
you can sit around, you can plan this all you want, but actually, why don't you just get, why don't you start writing? Just start doing it, you know? So I didn't plan it out that much. I had kind of a concept in my head. I, I did one, I did a couple maybe. And then I, you know, I went on LinkedIn, you know, since it's sort of a business publication, LinkedIn was, I think, kind of helpful. Uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and just said, hey, friends, I've started this newsletter. It's focused on Charlotte Business News. I'd love for you to check it out. Um, you know, let me know what you think. It's an e-newsletter. You, here's how you sign up for it. We're coming out three days a week, that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, right off the bat, I had probably, a, you know, a couple hundred free subscribers, uh, I think, in the first, you know, three or four days. And then I just kept producing content, you know, kept producing newsletters. was doing three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um you know, just a variety of things. And again, trying to do it in a way that not everybody else in town was doing it. It was important that I have content that was differentiated. It wasn't just, you know, the same thing that, you know, the main newspaper and the alt weekly and the you know digital entertainment publication and everybody else was doing, but it was actually trying to break news or tell you something you didn't know or identifying a trend and then trying to do it also with a very Charlotte kind of voice that things that people, you know, that this isn't something that, could just have been produced in, you know, New York or Chicago or wherever, but this is actually specific to Charlotte and is making reference to things, you know, that, that people know in Charlotte, little touchstones, you know, in Charlotte. So, you know, yeah. So just started doing it, put it on social media and then kept producing content. And then, you know, asking people, please, you know, if you like it, please tell your friends. So it's a lot of, you know, a lot of word of mouth. And then also, you know, as I would report stories, talk to people, interview them, you know, would follow up with them afterwards, send them the article, say, hey, here, I quoted you in, in this article. Let me know what you think. If you like it, you know, feel free to sign up for the newsletter and tell a friend, that kind of thing. So it's, you know, both sort of on the front end and on the back end, you know, trying to just kind of build it. And, and over time, you know, it, it took a while, but, you know, it, it, the number, it, people kept reading it. They kept, the free list kept growing, um, kind of kept growing from there. It's actually really incredible that, I mean, I had no idea they just started truly from friends and family kind of start um, since you've had such awesome list growth um, since then. Yeah, how do it, people, it's been encouraging. How do people continue finding it? I, I've mentioned on in, uh, in the, your writing that it's, it's just sort of word of mouth. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of like shape around that or is it just sort of like somehow it's spreading between people that are reading it? Yeah, you know, I don't really have great visibility into that. Um, you know, I know if like if you have a website, the metrics that you have on a website, you can see all kinds of things like who are the readers, how do they get there, and Substack has some of that. But I don't. All, oftentimes, when somebody signs up, I don't. I, all I really have is the email address for the most part. It, you know, so I don't necessarily know how they got there. Whether it's you know, whether it's a friend of mine telling a friend, or whether you know they happened to Google a topic and came across it and signed up. I don't. You know, it's one of these. I don't have a lot of visibility into that. So. I can't really tell you. I mean, I just know, I just kind of know what I've done. And I, I can tell you that a lot of it, I believe is, is kind of word of mouth. And then, you know, occasionally, and it, a lot of it is content driven too, not all of it, but you know, if I have a big story, if I'm able to break a story, um, you know, and, and beat, you know, competition on a story that, and then they recognize that it's a story and write about it and happen to credit me as breaking it, you know, that is helpful too, sort of leveraging those audiences you know, from who have bigger audiences. I mean, if, if, you know, if the audience of the Charlotte Observer sees, oh, this was first reported in the Charlotte Ledger, well, they're much bigger than I am. And so if they, if somebody reads that and says, well, what is the Charlotte Ledger? Let me check that out. I mean, that can be very helpful too. So, you know, it's not just 
about the content because a lot of times I think you can have really good content and nobody will see it. But there are ways to kind of, you know, partnerships are kind of a big thing, you know, in in a lot of these circles, you know, to help sort of, you know, leverage someone else's audience, you know, to grow your audience. And then, you, you know, you mentioned their, them and that helps their audience. So sort of, um, you know, it's not exactly, a, a, you know, everybody scratching each other's back kind of a thing, but it, it can oftentimes sort of work out that way. And I mean, there are different partnerships that I've kind of developed that I think have been helpful, but it's not like there's just one major one. That makes sense. It feels like those two things just always go hand in hand of having really great content and then also doing that extra work to make sure that you're maximizing the surface area of people that are going to be able to discover it. But if yeah. you people are discovering it and it's not good or you write good stuff and no one's discovering it, then you know it's not going to work out either way. Um, and it definitely right. seems like you've got both. I'm curious, just like as you're talking about making references to um, local news in Charlotte, like I confess, I really just don't know very much at all about the world of local news, except that I hear headlines that it's dying. Um, and so I'd love to just kind of hear a little more explicit of your take on um, like who are the, like within Charlotte, who are the major um, players or institutions? Uh, and within that, like, what is local business news like since you focus specifically on business news? Does it have the same sort of trajectory that we're hearing about local news? Is there a different sort of revenue model? Is there any anything different about that sort of space? Yeah. Well, I could just tell you a little bit about Charlotte, and I hope that doesn't bore people, but just kind of helps you understand the competitive environment here. But, you know, obviously the biggest player for many, many years was the big metro newspaper, which in our case was the Charlotte Observer, you know, where it used to work. When I was there, we had a print circulation of you know, 250,000 people. That was about 15 years ago. Now the print circulation uh, is more like 60,000. It went from a newsroom of 250 uh, journalists to now a newsroom of 40 journalists over the span of 15 years. So, you know, you can see that the main metro newspapers are shrinking. Um, and so they can't do the sorts of things that they used to be able to do, even though there's still an audience for the kind of work that they used to do. So, I mean, that's sort of the main one. There's, um, as far as business, there's a, we have a business journal, the Charlotte Business Journal. Um, you know, it's, which is, uh, they have a print product. They have, a, it's weekly. They have, a, you know, obviously a digital product. They do a lot of events. Um, you know, they channel a lot towards sort of events and awards and sort of selling um, ads to the, you know, to the business community. Um, you know, there's a new, new-ish um, digital publication uh, in town called Charlotte Agenda. Um, you know, it's entirely online, started, you know, five, six years ago. It, it's received some national attention. I mean, it's focused a, lo a lot of their um, coverage traditionally has been on, um, you know, dining and entertainment sort of geared toward millennials, you know, the uh, people in their 20s and 30s who are just moving to town and sort of want, you know, you know, want the want information, um, you, know, you know, mostly directed at that group. They've made some moves in the last, um, you know, in the last few months, hiring, they hired a journalist from the Charlotte Observer. They brought in another one from, um, you know, the, the you know, City Magazine. Um, so they're, they're trying to, you know, bulk up sort of their journalism chops uh, a little bit. You have, obviously, you know, you've got the public radio station. Um, you know, I've got a partnership with them, actually, where I'm on the air once a week talking about Charlotte business news. Um, so that's sort of a nice, mm. nice little thing where it kind of gets me a little bit of exposure and gives them some insight into business news. And they don't really have a business reporter for the most part. Um, you know, you have the TV stations, um, you know, that's. I think a, a little bit of a different audience there. They still, you know, still have a fair number of people, you know, watching, t you know, TV news. Um, 
you know, and then there are a number of other publications. You know, there's the, uh, the Alt Weekly, there's the you know Charlotte Magazine, there's any number of other, and I'm probably leaving some off, but a number of smaller um, publications. And so, I mean, there is, it's not that there's no coverage of local news in Charlotte. There definitely is. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a big city. And so, and there's, I, you know, the number of journalists working in Charlotte is, has definitely declined over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years. And so I think there's room to be doing uh, more things. And as it relates to business journalism, I mean, the big player is often, you know, it's thought of as being the business journal, um, you know, and, and, you know, circulation wise, I think their print circulation is somewhere between 10 to 12,000 or something like that. Actually, might, I'm not exactly sure. It might be small. Maybe I'm confusing that with their digital um, circulation. But, you know, they're, you know, sort of the, the big player. But, you know, I'm trying to do content that's different than, than they do. Um, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to sort of make it a little bit punchy, try to make it a little bit fun, um, you know, uh, you know, shorter kind of quick hit, um, you know, pieces, um, you know, and, and really sort of keeping, again, it, my audience is the reader. I'm not really working, you know, I, I'm not dependent on advertising sales to big companies. So I don't have to, um, you know, I don't have to soft pedal it you know, uh, toward, you know, big companies, for example. So if I'm, if I'm working for the reader, I can be truly kind of independent and I sort of live or die on what the readers think. So that's kind of a nice, for journalists, that's always sort of what you want is to be working for the readers. So, uh, so that's sort of a, that's just sort of the layout of, of um, you know, a, a sort of a lay of the land here. And I think they're just generally a lot of people I talk to in Charlotte, they sort of lament, you know, the decline of local news and they say, oh, this is great that you're doing this. We, you know, Charlotte needs something like this. Good luck to you. I hope you can grow it. You know, um, it, I think it's a good thing. So, you know, it's a little probably a bit of self-selection bias that they they like what I do and they tell me they like it. I'm sure there are people who don't like it, but you know, you don't have to please everybody, right? The numbers are such that you know to make this work as a as a viable business, you don't need two hundred thousand people. You know, you really, you know, if you can just kind of sort of do the math and say, okay, well, if I could get Okay, if I have a thousand people and they're paying, you know, a uh, hundred dollars a year, you know, well, that's, uh, you know, you can do the math and say, well, okay, that's how much that's how much money this brings in, and and, and so you know, the numbers are not as big or as daunting, um, and I think you're finding that probably not in in from other Substack writers that you know, there's a saying that all you need is a thousand dedicated fans, you know, mm -hmm. who are willing to pay you, and you can actually you can make a living off of that. So you know, it's I, I think that's definitely true. I'd love to dig into this model a little bit more for you. Sure. Uh, so you went paid pretty recently, actually, adding paid subscriptions to the Charlotte Ledger. Um, I think it was like a year into start. You're starting to write, um, mm -hmm. and so did you know when you were that you were going to eventually make this a paid thing when you started? Did it start out just as like I'll see where it goes and if I can get enough people to sign up? Like why did you finally decide to go paid? Well. Yeah, so when I started it, I mean, I knew Substack's model, and I knew that that was pretty much, that ultimately would probably be the end game. But when I started it up, I said, well, let's just see if there's a market for this. And I, you know, I didn't really know, and I, you never really know when you start, and I figured, okay, well, if I start it, and nobody really reads it, then okay, maybe I'll sort of move on to something else and figure something else out. But, you know, it kept, it kept growing, and I kept adding, um, you know, free subscribers. It was about the rate of maybe 200 to 300 free subscribers um, a month or so. Um, and it was fairly, you know, fairly consistent numbers on that. And so, uh, you know, I, I kept it free for a, a fairly long period of time. I know Substack tends to recommend, maybe probably would have recommended a shorter 
um, you know, period for that. But I really wanted to get the numbers up. I wanted to get the free numbers up because I perceived that it might be harder to kind of keep growing the, that free list once you switch to paid. So I really wanted to get that number up. Um, I had initially thought, oh, it'd be great if I could get to 10,000, you know, free subscribers. But I had no idea how long that would take. And I'm not anywhere near, I never got anywhere near that. But after about eight months, I was at about, um, I don't know, two or 2,000, 2,500 free subscribers or so. This is, I think, back in November. I think it was about 2,000 free subscribers back in November. And I said, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I put out a post and said, I'm going to go to a paid subscriber model starting in late winter, early spring. Um, you know, and, and here's why, here's the rationale. And it's all the things, you know, that if you read anything that Substack puts out, it's all the, the same sort of thing. Direct connection with the reader, you know, develop a community, um, you know, giving you, you know, giving you important insight. Um, you know, if you value it, you should pay for it, those kinds of things. And that's a little tricky too, to tell people, you know, a lot of times people are used to getting news, especially local news for free. You can get a lot on the internet, you can watch it on TV. So it's like, well, what are you adding that is making it that I should pay for it? So, you know, again, the, the argument I was trying to make was I'm giving you something you literally cannot get anywhere else. You know, if you want to know about the Trump administration and what they're doing, you have dozens and dozens and dozens of potential sources for that. But if you want to know what's going on in South Charlotte, you know, on this particular plot of land where developers are wanting to build a shopping mall, you're not going to get that anywhere else except for the Charlotte Ledger. You know, so it was, it was making those sort of arguments. Um, so I said that, did that in November, announced that in November. And then in, uh, late February, you know, I, I did another couple posts said, okay, we're, you know, we're, we're going to a paid subscription model. Here's how it is. You know, here's how much it works or here's how much it costs. Here's how it works. And I said, uh, $9 a month or, um, $99 a year. And then I also had a premium tier that I aimed at companies and people who wanted to give more that was $379 a year. Um, and so, you know, I, I sort of uh, laid that out there and, um, you know, at, by that point I had about, I guess around 3000, maybe a little more than 3000 free people on the free list. And it was really, it was that, that first day, it was just, it was great to see because I put it out there and then boom, you know, the, the, it just started coming in, you know, and, and after being like basically at zero revenue for 10 months, to actually have some money coming in, I can tell you, Nadia, it was just—it was just a great feeling to be able to do that and say, "Okay, this is very validating here." I mean, it's personally validating to know that people want to pay for what you produce. Um, but then, it, I mean, it's also nice to actually, you know, have some money coming in. And you know, I've, I've used a few freelancers that I kind of gone out of pocket for, and it's just nice to be able to kind of get that some of that money coming in. So the first few days, uh, it, there was just a big, you know, a pretty big spike and i had i basically left open this two-week window where i said okay i'm gonna you know uh switch to paid subscriptions and then but then then the first paid post was going to be march 11th um so you know sort of ramped up did a, and i had a bunch of good content lined up i had some good freelancers who had written some really smart things you know to try to take advantage of that two-week period as much as possible um you know got a bunch of people signing up you know money kind of came in did that first paid post March 11th, you know, again, you know, sort of saw, saw a pretty good increase. Of, you know, you all had said, I had talked to, you know, Chris or, or Hamish and they had said, well, you can probably expect at the beginning you'll see a rush and then at the end you'll see a rush. And that's exactly what happened. So, uh, yeah, we did that first paid post uh, March 11th. Um, and then I was thinking, okay, 
I'll have some money coming in and I'll you know kick back and sort of figure out the next step. And of course, that's right when this coronavirus stuff started hitting. And um, I mean, my, my timing on switching to paid was actually pretty fortunate um, in the sense that if I had waited any longer, it would have gotten completely lost in, in all the coronavirus stuff that's going on. So it, it actually mm. wound, the timing wound up being pretty good. Did you find that, because um, you started reporting also on obviously like how the crisis has been affecting Charlotte, um, you got this awesome grant from the Facebook Journalism Project to focus on um, on reporting about the crisis in Charlotte. Um, did you find, I mean, I guess, on balance that um, that the crisis has been, I don't, I don't exactly right. know how to phrase it, not useful, <laughs> I, I, but maybe. I understand, I understand what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, so I had um, I initially I was going three, well I gone three mornings a week, and then when I right before I announced that I was going to start switching to a paid subscriptions, I added a fourth day a week um, on Saturdays, which I had envisioned as I'm going to um, basically kind of round up the news of the week, and also use that as a way to point people toward the paid content that they didn't that you know, that free subscribers wouldn't have seen. So so Saturday was going to be it's a free you know free content day, you know, the, the paid days would be Wednesdays and Fridays. And so the free days would be Mondays and Saturdays. And the Saturday one was going to be a roundup pointed people toward the paid content so that free subscribers could say, could see and say, Oh, wow, that sounds really good. I should subscribe. That was my, uh, that was my initial conception. Then the coronavirus thing hit and, you know, I, I kind of had to make a choice. I could either sort of, sort of lay back and kind of stay on that schedule of what I was doing and keep the focus on business news as I had been. Um, but I, I kind of felt like if I did that, it would, you know, it's hard to write about just business stories when you have all this stuff going on locally, you know, in which you don't really have enough journalists in town to cover it all. So I kind of made the decision. I'm like, okay, we're going to ramp this sucker up. We're going to go from four days. We're going to come out now as much as we can. So we've been going, you know, um, you know, as we're talking, this is, you know, recorded in, uh, you know, the second week of April, you know, we've been going every day, you know, for the last month, pretty much, you know, seven days a week. Um, and a lot of that's with freelancers. I mean, I, I can't, I can't crank, that's just, that's, I can't crank out that much content, but it's, um, but that's just saying, okay, look, this coverage is not necessarily business coverage, but this is, a, it's important to the community. And, you know, a bunch of the businesses are kind of shut down anyway. Um, so let, let's just do, good coverage. And I've always thought, let's just do good material that's local rather than say, oh, well, that's not really a, you know, that's not a business story. So I'm going to ignore it. So it was sort of that decision where it's like, okay, let's go to, um, you know, let's go to, you know, seven days a week. Just, and it was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm, it's not like there's any shortage of things to write about. Like, you know, it's not like, it's not like some artificial thing where I'm saying, oh, we need to go seven days a week. What are we going to put in tomorrow? Like there's stuff, there's multiple things going on every single day. So, you know, sort of decided to do that. And then actually the, and the, the number of paid subscriptions throughout has, has continued, they've continued to come in. I mean, it's not like they were during that two week period where, where I had, had announced the paid subscriptions, but hadn't turned it on yet. But, you know, we've been getting a few every day. Um, you know, so that's, I mean, that's been, uh, that's been positive. I mean, I, I think it's, and the, the nice thing about this model is that if you do good work and people like it, um, they, subscribe. And so, and that's just, that's just very validating. It's just a very positive, positive thing, I think. And not just, you know, not just for the Charlotte Ledger, but I think it's positive for the community. Like that's one of the arguments too, is that, look, this isn't just, um, 
you know, that, that this is a community good, that this is something that actually Charlotte needs and that is good for Charlotte. And that's really kind of why, that's really the motivation in starting it up. It wasn't like, oh, how can I make a bunch of money? Oh, I'm going to start a local media company. That's a genius move, you know? That's a way to like cash in or whatever. It's like, that's not, I wouldn't advise people if they're, if they're in it, like for the money, like starting up a local media company is probably not where you want to be. I mean, just generally, I mean, go into like FinTech or something like that, but it's like, but, but you know, you can, you know, if you do good work, you know, I, I, I've been, you know, I, I think our work is good and I, you know, and I'm happy that there are paid subscribers you know, who agree. It's actually, it's cool hearing the story about how you started adding in more coronavirus um, coverage to your business coverage, because to me, it it feels like the kind of thing that um, having this more independent model is better suited for, where it's, you know, people are subscribing because they care about your perspective and you're offering them this point of view and the style of writing that they're not going to find anywhere else. And so, yes, you might, you are a business newsletter and you're focused on writing about business news. But when something crazy sort of like once in a century happens, um, it's also possible to write about those things and have people say, I'm here because like, I love your perspective on things. And like, I want to hear, I want to hear what you think about all these things. Right. Yeah. That's been kind of interesting too. Like if you come from, from from a traditional journalist background, you're sort of programmed to just be completely neutral. Right. And so I've tried to make it a little bit more, have a little bit more opinion and a little bit more edge. And I find that people, I don't know, I know that people tend to, you know, they tend to read and tend to consume what they agree with. But, you know, I found that people, I get nice notes. I got one the other day from somebody said, hey, I completely disagree with you on this. But, you know, I love I love the ledger. I think you're wrong on this. Just so you know, you know, that kind of thing, which is kind of a nice. It's not you can have like a respectful dialogue. You know, it's one of these things that you kind of always <laughs> want to have that sometimes, you know, you hear about people trashing each other on social media or whatever. But it, it's actually kind of nice. Um, so and that's that's kind of been positive, too. And so as you're bringing on, you've mentioned that you've um, had freelancers who are also helping to write for Ledger. Um, you recently announced that you brought on a managing editor and you have, mm-hmm. I think, a, a contributing editor, an intern. You have like a whole like kind of <laughs> yeah. staff now that you're spinning up. You've got swag, I saw, which seemed great. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's starting to be like more of this thing now. And so um, what it, given that sort of part of the origin was you had this sort of specific um, voice and perspective that people that people are subscribing to um what is it like bringing on more people in that sort of context um going from just you writing to like two people writing or whatever number of people writing um how do you sort of manage that yeah that's a good question because you know when i started this up i kind of didn't really know like okay well i'm just kind of try this on a lark and then you kind of do it and then you're kind of you get kind of locked in where it's like once there's a little momentum behind you it's like it's hard to just say, all right, I'm not doing. I, I want to do something else and pull the plug. Like there's, there's actually now a whole bunch of people who are like reading, and then they got you know freelancers and all this. But no, I basically said, uh, you know, I was going to bring in. I, I knew when I was ramping up to paid that it, it would be important. Yeah, you know, it would be nice to have some other content and other people providing content to take the burden off of me. And there are a number of journalists in town who who have you know left the newspaper or, or you know are available you know, who are, you know, now freelancing that, that I, that I knew and that I could reach out to. Um, and you know, so I knew I would have this money coming in as soon as I turned on the paywall. So I was able basically to kind of borrow against that, pay some, you know, pay some of the freelancers, um, you know, to, to do a little bit of work. Um, you know, but it is, it is kind of, it's like on the one hand, you want to kind of keep, keep the voice and keep the kind of tone and attitude, but, uh, you know, sort of as you grow, 
you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to force people who are writers to just develop my tone and my attitude. Um, you know, I still try to write, you know, as much as I, you know, as much as I can. Um, but you know, during this whole coronavirus, uh, you know, issue, you know, it's like, I, I definitely need, you know, freelancers, um, you know, to do that. Um, you know, to help out with that, that coverage. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, I did apply for a, a grant from Facebook and they, they were able, you know, they came through and they, they've been funding a bunch of local news initiatives related to coronavirus, got a, you know, $5,000 grant from them. So that helps pay, pay freelancers, which was a big help. Um, but yeah, just brought on this, um, you know, this week as, as we're talking here in the, you know, for the first part of April, uh, you know, a managing editor is a, uh, someone I've known for, you know, 20 years who was at the Charlotte Observer. Uh, she decided to leave and, and come on board, um, you know, with the ledger, which is great. So yeah, that is something that you kind of have to manage, um, a little bit again, but you know, if the proposition is we're telling you things that you don't know and we're breaking news, um, and you know, we're giving, maybe give you some feature stories here and there. I, I think it's okay to have a, you know, a few different voices and I, you know, there's this whole thing now towards people sort of identify with, um, you know, they identify with personalities. That's I'm, I've never really been comfortable kind of being like, the, the front person on this or the, you know, my face being associated with it or whatever. But I know that I acknowledge that's sort of the reality now. Um, but I think it's okay to bring in multiple people. And, um, you know, I, you know, it, it, you know, I, I think the results, I guess, uh, I hope will speak for themselves. Definitely do. Um, something, I mean, I, I really love about just reading some of your writing is that this like heart and this mission really come through. I mean, you do explicitly say that you're, you're doing this because you just, um, you really want to offer something new and not just provide like yet another kind of um, local news option, but you're you're really trying to like push the medium forward, push the conversation forward, um, which I think is just so awesome. Um, and, and it's made me kind of think like, you know, maybe this is sort of like a more of a philosophical question, but like, do you think of the Charlotte Ledger as a, like, would you put it in the bucket of a, a newspaper or a, a newsletter or um, or is it like you and a bunch of other awesome people who are essentially freelancing with a, a platform? Um, like, so, yeah, ha, what sort of, mm. as you think about your plans for the future, as you think about growing, um, what sort of bucket do you mentally put it in? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think the important thing and sort of the philosophy I have behind it is like, I just want to tell you stuff that you don't know and stuff that makes you smarter. Like, you know, it's not, you know, I think what Substack has proved is that there are audiences, there are multiple audiences for many, many different things, whether it's, you know, feminist poetry or 15th century literature or, you know, current events or, you know, tech or whatever. Like there are multiple, multiple audiences. And so, but what I'm trying to do with this is to say, okay, my audience is uh, people in Charlotte who are interested in interested in their city and in what's going on in their city and want to learn stuff about it and get insights and information that they can't get anywhere else. So as long as we're kind of doing that, um, whether it's my voice or whether it's someone else's voice or whether it's a combination of voices, I feel like that that's going to be, I think that's going to be okay. I think that's going to kind of work itself out. Um, you know, I, I just want to, I just want to constantly be doing just, just smart stories and the sort of things that aren't, obvious. And so, um, you know, I, I think, I think we're going to be able to do that even as we have different people, um, you know, providing that, uh, that information. So is it, is it, it's kind of like a newspaper. It's, I guess it's sort of a hybrid of all those things that you mentioned. So it's sort of like a newspaper in that sense, but it's also kind of like a blog in the sense that it's kind of chatty and, and conversational. 
Um, but it's also very kind of staccato. It's not, you know, we're not doing a whole bunch of long form stuff. I mean, we could, there are ways to do that. You know, we could, you know, we, you know, we could put a, a long form thing on the, you know, on the website and excerpt it in the newsletter. I mean, there are all kinds of possible combinations. So, you know, it's sort of a, a mixture of all of the above, but I'm trying not to make it just, you know, a purely opinion thing or just like what I really wanted to do is not just be reactive to what everybody else is reporting, but I really want to do original uh, pieces and have people talking about us um, and, you know, looking into us as a source of information. So I think as long, and the other part of it is I, I kind of, you know, if you're serving your readers, you can kind of be above the fray. Like I don't mind, like if the Charlotte Observer or Charlotte Agenda or the Charlotte Business Journal, if they've got a good story, you know, I don't mind mentioning it and saying like, hey, you should check out this thing in the Charlotte Business Journal they had on how many people are, you know, paying their rent um, this month during the coronavirus or whatever. And, and you can link to it. I mean, I want to establish us as, as sort of a, as a trusted source that is sort of agnostic about where the information comes from. So, I mean, a lot of places, that's that's not a traditional news mentality. I mean, the, the mentality traditionally in, certainly in local news is, hey, if you have a story, you, you know, you promote that story and you kind of pretend that like nobody else exists and you don't, you know, that, that's just, but that's just doesn't reflect reality. I mean, so I, I have no problem. If somebody does a good story, I'd like to send them to the story because I'm working for the reader. And, and if, if, you know, if I can say to the, to the reader who is my customer, you should go check out this story over here, then that serves that serves my reader. It might give a click to this other publication, but that's fine. I, I'm, it's just, so it's just kind of a different mentality. So I don't really know quite what bucket to put it in, Nadia, but um, hmm. it's kind of a hybrid, I guess. What is it about, I guess, everyone else's model that makes it harder for them to do that? Is it is it just because they are more about driving readership numbers and having exclusive information does that better? The other models that are out there, I, I think, I just really like the model. I like having that direct connection with readers. And it's just very simple. It's very straightforward. It's like in pretty much any other industry that if you find value in something, you pay for it. it I think in media, a lot of times I can get very confused if, you, if you're very dependent on advertising. Um, I think it can be kind of confusing toward readers, toward are you are your interests in looking out for the readers or are they in looking out for the advertisers? And is this paid content? Like are advertisers paying for this content or is this legitimately your honest opinion? I think it can get very confusing, I think for readers. And I, uh, I don't, I don't care for those models as much. I would, I would prefer to be doing what I'm doing with a, with a direct connection to the readers. Um, I just think it's, I think it's a little bit cleaner. This has made me wonder um, how you decided on your pricing, um, especially given that for local news, I guess people are sort of mentally used to maybe more of an advertising model. Um, Yeah. How did you come up with your numbers? Well, you know, I talked to, I had months and months to kind of think about this and work on this, but um, you know, I'd love to tell you there's some scientific reason I settled on $9 a month or $99 a year, but it was really just sort of um, a lot of people said, don't underprice. I had a few people who had newsletters that told me that. And then the other part is, you know, this is, if it's a business publication, um, and I sort of straddle that line between just doing pure sort of business stuff and things and things that are a little more sort of direct to consumer, general kinds of things. But they, you know, I said, if you're, if you're a business publication, you can probably command a little bit of a higher price because people are going to be able to expense this for their business. And if they're, you know, they can put it on their, 
company credit card. They can write it off as an expense if they're, you know, if they're a small business owner. So you you can kind of capture some of that. So I, I wanted to go. I mean, I think the minimum on Substack was five dollars or six dollars or something like that. But I, I said, okay, let's go up to nine, um, just because. And it's part of it. It was also kind of marketing, thinking, okay, like when you go buy gas, you know, it's like two dollars and nineteen cents and nine tenths. You know, it's like. So you got, I was like, oh, let's keep it under 10. Let's go nine. And then the same thing on the yearly. I said, let's go 99 because it sounds uh, cheaper than 100, I think, mentally. So that's sort of, uh, like I say, not really scientific, but you know, that's sort of what I landed on. Makes sense. Um, yeah, just to sort of wrap up the conversation a bit, um, now that you've been doing this for a while, I'm wondering just from the personal side, um, what has it felt like to write for essentially yourself? or for the reader uh, versus writing for Charlotte Observer versus um, the time that you spent freelancing. Like you've really seen all different aspects, I guess, of uh, doing local journalism and yeah. the good and the bad. I just would love to hear from a personal side. Um, what's it, how does it compare? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, it's, um, there are positives and negatives. I mean, the, the one thing is it's, it's extreme. Well, I mean, let's just break it all down it's extremely liberating, right? To, to just be able to kind of write whatever you want to write on the one hand, you know, so you have a whole bunch of freedom that if you're coming from a traditional media organization, you might not have, if you have an editor that, you know, doesn't want this kind of story, but wants that kind of story. Like I can pretty much do what I want to do on the one hand. Now, on the other hand, I don't really have, or I haven't had until lately, really an editor, right? Editors can actually make stories better. If you have a good editor, that can really make all the difference in the world. So on the one hand, the good news is I didn't have an editor. The bad news is I don't have an editor. So that's kind of a plus and minus. The other thing I'll say is that um, since I'm sort of doing this for myself, um, I'm a lot more invested in it and I'm willing to spend more time in it than I would if I were just an employee of somewhere. That this is, you know, that this is kind of, this is kind of my baby, right? I mean, this is, this is, you know, I was able to, you know, fortunately there is something like Substack that allows you to do something like this, but it's like, I was able to create this. And so I'm invested in it and I'm invested in its success. And that, that is very motivating. It makes me spend a lot of time on it because I want it to be good. I, I really, you know, I don't want to just do it kind of halfway. Um, I really want it to be good. The downside of that is I wind up, wind up spending a lot of time you know, a lot of late nights, um, a lot of getting up early in the morning, um, a lot of kind of extra phone calls, a lot of, a lot of things. I mean, it's, it's tremendously fun and exhilarating. And there's a whole strategy side of it that I haven't really had to deal with before, but, but it's kind of interesting and neat. It's not just the writing, but there's the whole, like the marketing side and the business side and all these kinds of partnerships and things like that. Um, that's tremendously fascinating. It's also a little daunting because it's like, do I really know what I'm doing here? So, you know, <laughs> there, there are pluses and minuses. I mean, it's definitely, and I'm sure you hear this from a lot of other, um, you know, Substack uh, writers, but it's like, you, you can spend a lot of time. I mean, this is, uh, you know, you can really pour, you know, your heart into something and spend a lot of time doing it because you want it to be good. And so, you know, that's just sort of a consideration. I guess if you're somebody who just sort of wants to kind of eh, occasionally write, and, you know, it, it might not quite be the thing for you but it, they're they're so uh, yeah the number of pluses and minuses i guess sounds like an adventure <laughs> definitely an adventure i mean it's been a lot of fun i mean uh it's it's been really tremendous and so I, I, it's been 
uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been great. I mean, it's been, I, I mean, I feel like I'm doing some of the best work in my career. I feel like I'm kind of making a difference. It, just the, just hearing from people and making connections to people and working with people I want to work with. It's really, it's been really exhilarating. It's been a lot of fun. It's a great note to end on. Um, thank you, Tony, for joining and chatting with me. Thanks, Nadia.